Welcome back to On the Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Ella Fritz, a comedian in St. Louis. Ella took improv and stand-up courses at Second City in Chicago, and she's been on stage for the last eight years. She just released her special, We Should Write Together, on YouTube on Wednesday, March 15th. Listen to this episode, then go watch her special. Or you can watch her special and then listen to this, but you've already started listening to this, so don't be dumb. It's just easier. She's super funny. I'm sure you're going to love her. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Follow Homebrew Comedy on Facebook or go to homebrewcomedy.com to see all of my dates. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. I don't even want to talk to you. I want to touch your cat. Oh, this is Smokey. She's very <laughs> vocal most of the time. If nobody's petting her, she usually has more to say. Usually my cat, Mac, I have a Russian blue. I have three cats because I'm awesome. Ooh. But I have a Russian blue who loves the attention. And when I start a podcast, he's usually sitting on the mouse pad. So like, yeah. I'll try to move the mouse and then he'll bite me. And it's a fun game he plays. But... It's his cue for me to pet him and stop focusing on anything but him. Smokey likes to do a thing where she'll like, like if I'm on my phone, she'll knock my phone out of my hand or if yeah. I'm like, or she'll like, see, like, she's like, if I just hold my hand out, she'll just make me pet her. Yep. She loves this. She's made to be an only cat. <laughs> oh, you only have one. Yeah. Just her. Yeah, she was I in a house with like four other cats before this. And I don't know how she got the attention. Maybe that's why she likes us so much, just because we give her so much attention. Makes sense. My ex-girlfriend had two cats, and the cats actually moved in with me before she did. So, oh. yeah, there was like a flea problem. Like, her roommate had two cats, and she didn't take care of them, so they had fleas. And they only had three rooms between them. So mm-hmm. I took one of the cats as, like, just to isolate him. And then, at the time, I was not a cat guy. I was a dog guy. But, like, mm-hmm. I really valued my leather furniture. So like oh, I chose no. I chose the furniture over the animals. And oh, then God. her cat slept in my bed the first night and I was hooked. And I had met the cat before and I liked him a lot. But like when he cuddled up to me while I was sleeping, I'm like, I am converted. I'm a cat guy. Mm. So her two cats moved in with me and then she moved out. And then I had to have two cats. Like I just felt like if I got one, it would be lonely. And then I like the companionship. So I got yeah. one cat on Craigslist. I'm sorry. I got one cat through a friend on Facebook. And then I saw on mm-hmm. Craigslist, there's another cat. And then she was cute, but she had a cute brother too. And I'm like, wow, it might be scary for the kitten to come over. So I brought a friend and that's my buddy, Dennis. He's my best friend. So it worked Dennis. out really well. Oh, I'm an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan. So I got Dennis Matt, oh. and Sweet D. Dude, yeah. dude, I would be a very different comic if I had never seen It's Always Sunny. Because weird? I think the thing, the thing that I'm known for, I think, is being like really loud and shrill and gross, which like, come on. Those are the three first words I think of when I think of It's Always Sunny. Yeah. So we've got Mac and Dennis. What's the third one? Sweet D. Perfect. Yep. Oh, my God. So, I think of myself as a Sweet D rising. <laughs> I originally got the Russian blue and I named him Mac. And I'm like, well, yeah, I get the sweet D and the dance. Then a friend of mine gave me a cat 
and I called him Charlie and then she took him back. So I had a Charlie. So eventually if I do fill out the family, I got to get a Charlie and a Frank. And then I'm not sure what I would call the cat. If I got a girl, would it be Artemis or waitress? Ooh, Artemis would be a really good cat name. Yeah. But waitress would also be a really good be, cat it'd be, name. It'd be super funny. Like, if my parents would have no idea, like, why? Why waitress? <laughs> <laughs> if they all, heaven forbid, if all the other cats pass away, waitress was still there, that'd be a lot of explaining. Yeah, no kidding. Well, let's see, she... I guess she was with Charlie and I don't know. They they're married, but they don't like each other. I just go into the show. Oh my <laughs> God. Be com- there's, completely confused. There's so much lore. Yeah. What is it about? It's always sunny that really attracted you. I was a sitcom person and I always had been, but until then a lot of my sitcoms that I was watching were like Nick at night or like purity ring air at Disney channel like a Dan Schneider thing. He should die. But, you know, I watched a lot of his shows. But I got a little older and I was at a sleepover and my friend's parents were, it was the office actually that they were watching. I was like, whoa, sitcoms can be this? Like, it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen at that point. And my cousin was really into Friends. And I don't know why. It was when Comedy Central started re-airing reruns of It's Always Sunny. So I started watching those. So that was the summer before my senior year or my freshman year. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm so old. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 27. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I just met I've been you, doing but... comedy for eight and a half years now. All right. Well, I just met you, but I, I am insulted and I, I don't like you anymore. I All just right. turned 40. Oh so. my God. Okay. You could have fooled me genuinely. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. You're welcome. But the office being like, your funniest show. I love The Office. I think it's really funny. But that mm-hmm. being the funniest thing I've seen, how old were you, you think? I mean, it was on TV, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sense I was 12. Like, like for me, when I was 12, I was watching, I think I just gotten like converted to Seinfeld at the time. Ooh. Because like I loved In Living Color so much. And I don't know if you've ever seen it, but. Oh, I've seen bits. Okay. I haven't seen like, I haven't seen that much full episodes, but anyway. Well, it's it's basically Jim Carrey's breakout role and Damon Wayans and a lot of great, great yeah. actors. But I love that show. And my best friend, Jeff, loves Seinfeld. And we kind of like traded. Like we'd walk to play basketball and he would tell me about Seinfeld episodes, like the plot lines, stories, whatever. And I would tell him sketches from In Living Color. So we kind of shared that with each other. So I'm 12 years old and The Office would have been my Seinfeld, I guess. Yeah. So it makes sense that. Do you think The Office kind of shaped who you are too? Like, I mean, you got it so sunny, but did it kind of direct yeah. you to that style of humor? I think so. I don't think I love cringe comedy at this point, but I, I love things that are very grounded and personal. And I think that uh, The Office is a show where you can watch an episode that you've seen a bunch of times and pick a different character to focus on. Like maybe it's like a Jim Pam episode, but you're watching what Phyllis is doing the whole yeah. time and you find new layers of it. Every actor just wants to like do their best. Every actor is very in character and ready to rock and roll. You know, it's yeah. Arrested Development was another big one. We were talking about the Simpsons uh, off mic. Yeah. And then also just any of the NBC comedies from when I was in high school. So like office parks and rec 30 rock and probably the most influential was community for me. That, that block. I missed it completely. I've seen all Dude. the shows like every episode. Oh, you know, I have not seen, I've seen one episode of 30 rock, but like, Okay. I've seen twice. Parks and Rec I've seen a bunch of times and the office is like in the teens. And I can't believe, like in retrospect, how 
all four shows were in that same block. I mean, it's incredible. And then, but it kind of makes sense because like NBC for years has had the best sitcoms. I mean, going back to Cheers and then Seinfeld, like I think Cheers was nine o'clock and Seinfeld was eight, nine thirty. So Oh, what a lineup. Yeah, they just been stacked. And then I think Friends was at eight and Seinfeld was at nine. So like they've had these monster hits and they put them on, was it must see Thursday, I think? So yeah, it's just been crazy. But in retrospect, those four shows, I mean, I don't know how many awards they won. I know the office was like like the actors got shorted, but Parks and Rec was such a beautiful show. And then community. Jenna Fisher won an Outstanding Actress Emmy, I think after season three, which of all the seasons for Pam, that's definitely the best Pam season. Yeah. Yeah. It's where she got to like kind of branch out a little bit because. She, yeah. Because that was when Jim went to Connecticut. Yes. And she had to like, she went through the breakup with Roy and yeah. Yeah. The exploration. Just the whole Beach Games episode. Magnifique. That, is that season three or four? Three. Right, because they get together at the over, end of season three and yeah, the very right. beginning of season four. Yeah. Okay. Right. Right. Oh yeah. So you've got the art school, uh, not not the school, but like the okay, right. the art show yeah. and everything. Yeah. So Simpsons, how much of an influence is that for you? Oh, massive! Everything that I am. Okay, so you know how there's like things that you remember seeing or hearing when you were young, and you never knew the context of them until you got older. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that's in your head. For me, that was the Gracie Films logo, like the da 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 da. It's also a way that I've been able to relate to my family. It's been a way I've been able to connect to friends, and I love. I I don't know. Like I said, I love sitcoms. I love when there's reasons for me to be invested in certain people and characters and situations, and also I love being able to laugh because it's something that somebody would say. You know. I watch Parks and Rec, and I think. There's a lot of similarities between Parks and Rec and The Simpsons. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. One, you got Greg Daniels. His hands are in there because, you know, oh. the office. and Yeah, and like, but he's like and, massaging his hands in right. The Simpsons and Parks and Rec especially. But It's Parks also and- this big – Springfield and Pawnee are the same. There you go. Not the exact same. And there are so many characters they can pull from. And you're like, oh, my God. Like, there's – every character could have not its own spinoff, but, like, an episode focused on that. And I think the same thing with the Simpsons in Parks and Rec as I do with Gilmore Girls. Ooh. Because I just watched that for the first time two years ago, I think. And that community is so big that it's a genius move. Because, yeah. I mean, if you're short on storylines for Lorelai, you're like, all mm-hmm. right, let's give something to Kirk. You know, like we can just yeah. go to somewhere else. And I think same thing with Parks and Rec and to a lesser extent, The Office. I mean, you have a big cast. Of the office, but they're yeah. not really going off site too often. We don't get many Bob Vance episodes. No. Have you seen Southside? No. I think it's like a combination of like it's always sunny in parks and it's like presentation. It's about a few people who work at a rent-to-own facility in Southside Chicago. And it's really fucking funny. There's like this big cast of people. They just canceled it because it's HBO oh. Max, of course. But there's three seasons of it. It's all really good. It's all they also focus on these two cops and they're just huge assholes. Right. One of them tonally reminds me a lot of Sweet D and obviously she's my favorite. Both of the cops are black, but one of the cops is black, married to a black woman and they have a white son. And the joke is like, oh, we adopted 
they swap it. It's an entirely black writer's room, I'm pretty sure. But it's really fucking good. Yeah. And I've been recommending it to everybody because my friend and also fellow comedian, good guy, Jeremy Helwig, recommended it to me. I like watching the shows that are like completely off the air because then I yeah. can catch up real quickly. Oh, perfect. Because that is off the air. <laughs> my ex <laughs> saw like 10 episodes of New Girl, but she was visiting a friend. And mm-hmm. I think they were in their sixth or seventh season. And she's mm-hmm. like, you should watch this. You'd love it. And I'm like, I will soon because I knew it was ending. And I'm like, I'll watch it yeah. in one session, basically. I'll Like, it'll take me a week and I'll finish it. Because as much as I like watching week to week, when I'm already six seasons behind, I'm like, I'll just yeah. I'll wait because I know me. I'll binge the six seasons and then forget to watch the seventh or have to watch them all again just to see the seventh. I did that with Secret Life of the American Teenager, which is a bad show. I don't recommend it at all. <laughs> I say, I've never heard of it. No, it's um, Shailene Woodley is a pregnant teen. There, that's the okay. show. And then every season there's a new person who's pregnant. Whatever. Molly Ringwald plays her mom. It sucks. It sucks a lot. If you're into like really long YouTube essays, there's one where she like, or not Shailene Woodley, but this uh, other YouTuber like goes through every plot point. And I feel like that's a better way to watch the show than anything else. It's not funny on purpose. Right. It's the same person who created Seventh Heaven. Oh my God. That's a show. I never watched it. Like I, it's a show. Like I forget who the older daughter is, what her name is. Is it Jessica Biel? I don't think that's Jessica Biel. I, it might be. I forget who it is, but I, I remember like being a teenage guy and I would like, I wouldn't watch the show because, you know, I'm a teenage boy. Yeah. But I would turn back. I'm like, oh, she's on TV. All right, cool. And I'll, I'll move on to my other yeah. shows. But right. I never watched the show. And then I watched It's Always Sunny and Dennis and Dee's dad is the dad from Seventh Heaven. Oh my God. Yeah. And then you find out, oh, he's a, he's a bit of a creep. <laughs> I don't know who would have been better to race them. <laughs> Christ. No kidding. You started doing stand-up at 19? 18. 18. Yeah. Wow. Good for you. Uh, I started doing comedy at all when I was 17 because I got my parents to let me go to, I live in St. Louis. Right. I went to Second City, Chicago for a summer camp. I did a lot of improv and I wrote some sketch and I tried to get them to add on the stand-up class. But they were like, no, we're already spending too much money. But I got it. I went back the next year and I got it as a graduation gift. Oh, nice. Yeah. It was really fun. I had a few really good teachers. I don't know if I could remember any of their last names, but I remember everybody's first name. So that's good enough. <laughs> uh, and I really like Chicago when it's warm outside. Yeah. I've only been to Chicago in the summer. Yeah, me too. We went once in spring when I was nine. So it was, I was nine. My brother was six. My parents were in their forties. Who gives a shit? Uh, <laughs> so we all went up together and it snowed and like my dad had the car, but it was like snowy, slutty, sleety in this really like communal city where you like walk everywhere. It sucked is what I'm saying. Right. St. Louis is what? Two hours from Chicago? Uh, five, but still pretty good. Why do I think it's two? I don't know. Probably because they're just. Maybe, I mean, again, person who's canceled, but Kanye has the song that's like St. Louis, Chicago, Chicago, St. Louis. That makes it sound so close. Well, I guarantee you I didn't get it from Kanye. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, cool, 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 cool. I know Kanye is a good musician. I've been told, but I cannot tell you. I had this big like gap in my pop culture Mm -hmm. knowledge. I don't know a single Kanye West song and I'm sure I've heard it, but I can't Mm -hmm. name one. My ex was a really big fan. So I started getting into him because of the ex. So like 
Yeah. And then, like, almost as soon as we broke up is when he started, like, not being a good guy. (laughs) Or, like, publicly being a war. Like, I remember a little before we broke up is when the famous video came out, which is, for context, the video is Kanye singing in a bed with a bunch of naked wax sculptures of other celebrities that he's been connected to. So there's, like, a naked wax Taylor Swift. There's a naked wax Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Uh, It's... Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how you vote. I don't want a naked yeah. Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump next to me. No, she's a little caked <laughs> out, but it's a lot. <laughs> and they really question the sanity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there was like this thing where it was like, like he asked Taylor Swift, hey, can I do this? But I don't think he said like everything that the song was going to be about. And specifically that she was going to be naked and made of wax in his video. And I don't know. Anyway, this whole thing happened. I was like, this is very gauche. I'm out. I'm good. Right. See you later, alligator. <laughs> I like the idea of somebody getting so pissed, but they still say, see you later, alligator. <laughs> <laughs> I used to work in kitchens, so I couldn't like, or like I would work in kitchens where like people could see I worked at a food truck. And then I also worked at a Dewey's pizza. So there was like a window right. in front of the kitchen. So I couldn't say, go fuck all these people. I had to be like, all right, <laughs> see you later alligator or okie dokie artichokey. And I can't stop. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, that's going to carry me through the day. <laughs> <laughs> so you started doing improv. What, what made you go into Santa? I mean, you wanted it right away. Did you like one over the other or did you just want to try both of them at the same time? I wanted to try both at the same time. It was actually sitcoms that made me want to do comedy because like I went through a couple bad years. I didn't have many friends. Comedy was like the only thing that I really liked. I went through a phase in high school where my main group of friends was a group of other like sapphic women. And one of them has since come out as a trans man. So not a sapphic woman. But anyway, right. we all wrote fan fiction together And we adopted different characters from Community and Parks and Rec as our, like, characters. I was Britta, for what it's worth. (laughs) I liked to write, and I liked to perform, as far as I knew. But I wanted to do, I wanted to try both and see what I wanted. I wanted, I don't know. Like, Second City was the thing, because it's like, Chicago is where, like, Bob Odenkirk and Chris Farley met. Or, like, yeah, yeah, Stephen Colbert, Amy Sedaris, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler, for God's sake. So, like, I wanted to, like you know, find friends and also do comedy. A lot of this is what the special is about. It's ostensibly a one woman show with stand up in it. Right. Um, and then once I got back from doing improv, I started learning about stand up. Nice Try the Devil came out like a few weeks before. It came out right when I finished my junior year. So it was like a few weeks before I went to this trip. So I got really into like Chicago stand up from like 2006. So like Pete Holmes, Camille Nanjiani, Kyle Kinane, Matt Bronger, Hannibal. Like that crowd I got into. And then the Pete Holmes show came out when I was back in St. Louis, which is very much my shit in a lot of ways. Like the sketches are really stupid. I learned the difference between X-Men characters because of that show. The sketch where Pete Holmes plays a therapist who's trying to seduce his client is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I don't know. I've never watched the Pete Holmes show. It's good. I mean, it's that the one on TBS. Yes, that is. I've seen most of Crashing, but I never finished it because my best friend went through a similar thing where she also found out her husband was cheating on her and then left the house and then crashed with all of us. So I was like, this is a little close to home. <laughs> <laughs> no, Crashing's yeah. a good show. I think you, you Crashing's good. Yeah. 
I should. Yeah. I heard that the last episode is a good finale, but it's another one of those things. It's like I watched it and then I dropped off and then I came back. The only so yeah, I started listening to a lot of like stand up and then listening to people talk about stand up, and I realized I identified more with that than with improv. And then I also found out that doing stand up is free. Yes. So that's where I came from. How much did it cost to do improv for you? Uh, you have to pay to take classes. So I think the step, gotcha. the camp at Second City was like seven fifty for two weeks. Wow. Uh, and I think I paid about that, maybe more, to do improv at the St. Louis Improv Theater, the improv shop for almost the whole year. But to be fair, I also didn't pay for the first class or the last class because I was an employee. Okay. Yeah. So when you started doing stand-up, did you feel any more comfortable there? Yeah. I felt very confident in myself because one, I'm like, I'm funny and I know I'm funny. And two, I'm like, I got to perform at a showcase because we had a showcase at the end of the session at the end of the class. So I was like, I know what I'm doing. I can right. do this. And imagine looking over and there's like a very small 18 year old shrill woman just talking to herself for four minutes, but that's what she calls an open mic set. Right. So that's what I was used to. I came in and I felt ready to be myself. It was like, I felt like I was like taking off like the cloak of high school and I got to be my full self on stage and I mean, nobody's good their first year. It took me like a year and a half to figure out what I wanted and how to be. But there were a few people who saw me and were like, this chick's got something. Yeah. I got close with a few comedians who did a sketch show together called Fatal Bus Accident. Uh, And they asked me to do a woman on the street segment for it because they were like, let's take this person who's very like awkward and anxious and then make her interact with as many people as possible. And then when I saw how that ended up and how that was edited, that kind of clicked into place, like what my quote unquote persona is. I don't know. I'm very self unaware. <laughs> That's why I love therapy. How long have you been in therapy? Ah, uh, God on and off since I was 18. There was a lot of things I decided I was going to do once I left my hometown and moved into my college dorms. I dropped out pretty quickly, but still. <laughs> uh, so I've been with the therapist I'm seeing now longer than anybody else. She's nice. She's like, she's not very online. So she doesn't always get my memes. But like, if I tell her that Smokey's running around being obnoxious, she's like, oh, she's got the zoomies. So she knows the important stuff. Right. She can't let you know. You're good. Yeah. Yeah. My therapist, I've been seeing her for three years, a little more than that. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think so. It might be four. Yeah, I don't know. I got to see how, how long her notes are for me, but I think <laughs> it's three plus, I think. And yeah, I think I'm also three plus. She has three cats and a dog and Ooh. I have three cats and my girlfriend has a dog. So like we're kind of competing with each other, but <laughs> right away I felt a connection with her and mm-hmm. I didn't realize, like I thought before I went to therapy, I'm like, Oh, you just go and you talk to somebody. I didn't realize how important it was to like, find the right therapist. It's and so hard. I got incredibly lucky. And yeah. when, when the pandemic came around, I was like, awesome. Because we went to online kind of like, you know, zoom or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the only reason it was a great thing is that when I move, if I move, I don't have to sever that tie. Like That's I know, really nice. I know that I can do this remotely or she can do this remotely rather. And I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh, cause I'm never until she retires. Or I get better. 
I don't know which going to come first, but like I can have that relationship, which is so comforting. Mm-hmm. I love being able to do it over Zoom. I hated driving to her office because St. Louis is a city where you have to take like a lot of highways to get anywhere yeah. at any speed. And I had to take my two least favorite highways to get to her office. It was really close to where the funny bone is. Well, one of our funny bones here at St. Louis, which is also a club that I don't go to very much. Right. Partially because of that, but also partially because I usually just don't get work there. Neither here nor there. <laughs> We're not talking about it. I'm not here to shit on clubs right. yet. So it was kind of like I compared it to going through the poppy fields to get to the Emerald City. Yep. But now it's all Emerald City, baby. Just sign in. It's me and Reinberg, baby. <laughs> I told my therapist because she's like she only is in the office one day a week anymore. And I go there on, on Wednesday. Like that's her day. And I, yeah. I told her, I'm like, I like coming here because if I have nothing else to do on Wednesday, I at least have this to go to. I can take a shower. I can pretend to be presentable for an hour mm-hmm. and change. And then I can go home. It gives me a sense of accomplishment. But I'm like, yeah. if you ever say, hey, I stay at home, I don't get mad. I'm like, sweet. I can just wake up and roll over, open the phone, and I'm good. That's nice. Yeah. That's real nice. It's comforting. Yeah. So did you start going to therapy after you started comedy? It was within the same month. I started seeing a therapist that was like in training at the college I went to. Okay. So I'm from very rural Missouri. The town that I'm from is called House Springs. I like to say that it's when Missouri turns into Missouri. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So I lived there. And then when I moved into the city proper for college, I realized I was away from my family. And I used to be like, hey, mom and dad, I think I'm depressed. Can I see a therapist? And they were like, what if you started working out? You know, that kind of thing. They've come around in a big way since. I want to make it very clear. They're two boomers. Of course, their view on therapy isn't the most robust immediately out the gate, whatever. So when I went the first two weeks of college, I did stand up for the first time that wasn't like Second City, Chicago. I started going to therapy. I had sex for the first time and I smoked weed for the first time. Wait, no, the weed was like a few weeks later. Yeah, it was a big time for the old fritter. <laughs> How different of a comedian would you be without therapy? Like, I know for me, <laughs> it balanced me a little bit. It made me focus, made me more accountable. I think it made me more palatable, but not in a bad way. Like, not in a way that I'm trying to discourage my, disparage myself. Like, I feel like once I was able to, like, talk through things that, like, I needed to go to therapy for. I didn't have to like let them accidentally come out on stage. Yeah. Like, Hey guys, how about color theory? Also, I'm severely depressed all the time. You know, (laughs) there's, I also am able to talk about like, I'm gonna talk a lot about my mental health on stage now, but like, there's a joke that I do where I talk a little bit about like my journey. It just comes up a little bit where I've mentioned a few things that like, like for context, I started feeling like really, really depressed when I was 11 and I talk a little bit about that and how I work at a property. Jesus Christ, Smokey. <laughs> oh, sick. Hey, you warned me. She was talkative. She has a lot to say. <laughs> She's saying she likes, oh God. We have this bit where we call her um, a right wing nut job. Yeah. So I was going to say her favorite comedian, her favorite comedy show is a, what's the conservative daily show show? Waters World? Well, I don't know if that's the one, but Waters World is the show. The Greg Gutfield? Sure. Yeah. That fucking guy. <laughs> oh, man. Ugh. 
I work at a property with a lot of rich people there. And one of them told me not to get old. So I have this bit that's like, oh, you're telling somebody uh, while living your best life who went through a very suicidal period of her life. You know what? It would have been better if I just killed myself when I was 17. Right. And that's the joke. I don't think I would have been able to write that without therapy. It also, I agree. It does kind of make me feel a little more accountable because I'm more like, like, oh, if I already did this, I might as well do that. Or if I'm in a, I don't want to go anywhere mood. She's like, what if you did an open mic tonight? I know there is one, you know? Yeah. It'd be great if she had like the open mic schedule. Like, no, no, you're lying. She opens up St. Louis independent comedy.com and puts it on the zoom screen. And she's like, <laughs> no, nope, you can still go to eat crow. Listen, Chris Sear is here. He likes you. Oh, I love Chris Sear. He's the sweetest. I think the reason I'm talking to you right now, and I'll talk to as many St. Louis comedians as I can to find the one person who hates Chris Sear. No, and it, none of them. I know. Chris Sear is like the Ferris Bueller of St. Louis comedy, except again, I don't hate Chris Sear. <laughs> Chris is so good. I did like a Zoom writer's workshop with him for a little bit over the pandemic. And then Mm -hmm. I had him do a Zoom show for me. And we don't cross paths very often, but every once in a while, he'll send me a message. I'll send him a message asking for recommendations or, you know, do you know somebody who could open for this person, whatever. And it's just like, it's a cool relationship. So like, I mean, it's very, very uh, infrequent, but he's a good guy to know. Oh, yeah. One of the first open mics I got really, really into was one that he used to run in Maplewood, which is like just outside St. Louis. It's like on the border of like St. Louis, the city. Uh, And it was him and this other guy, J.C. Sabala, who's also a good guy. I like J.C. This has been controversial before, but it's not anymore. (laughs) But I got very comfortable at that mic. So they were kind of used to me being like weird and they were like okay we like her she's not going away she wants she's here to do comedy and then also crow's nest slash eat crow which is owned by the same people some of the best open mic food ever just full stop they have like poutine and burgers and shit they have a good grilled cheese they have a good mac and cheese it's underrated like the good food at a mic is so underrated because for me in binghamton Mm-hmm. It takes all my effort to pull people to the mic. And when you have a good menu, it, at least you got that. Yeah. Like, hey, there's a pizza special. Come on, have a pitcher of beer and a pizza and maybe tell a joke or two. It'll be fun. Yeah. Yeah. It'll force you out. Right. How long have you been doing comedy? I've been doing comedy about seven years. Okay. So okay. Fuck I yeah. got a late start. I, I started when I was 33. And okay. I was a former journalist and Ooh. I needed, yeah, I was a sports writer and I, wanted to do comedy forever and Mm -hmm. I now needed an outlet to write. So I'm like, all right, let's check it out. And I had free time and I was not working second shift anymore. So I found the one open mic in Binghamton and went to work ever since then I I got hooked and now I produce shows all over the place. And that's part of how we met. You have ties in upstate New York, right? I kind of, my aunt, she goes to the fairy festival in Binghamton every year. Okay. So that's why I was up there last year as I went with her. Right. And then my best friend, one of them lives in Long Island. So sometimes I'm there. I want to visit her soon. Right. She's cool. And then I know a few people in New York City. Who doesn't? Yeah. (laughs) I bet I know more people in New York than you do. I bet you do too. (laughs) How do you like the St. Louis scene? It's good. It's not what it was. And I... Sometimes I wonder if I'm feeling real nostalgia for something that was there or wasn't there. 
but we used to have a more robust alt scene, but we have a very robust mainstream scene now. More clubs keep opening. People who run shows tend to get a lot of like outside of St. Louis club work. Like they go to the other funny bones or the other heliums or something. But like we used to have a lot more sketch and a lot more different types of comedy. Not that like what we have now is bad. I want to make it very clear. We have a lot of things to do. You can go to a a mic any night except for like Saturdays now, I think. Maybe there is a Saturday mic. I don't know. I think in general, people are on each other's sides. At least the people I talk to, it's like your success is their success. There's a lot of, a lot of men. There's so many men. It gets old, man. (sighs) I don't know the solution to that. I don't either. I don't expect you to, because yeah. I don't. I, as somebody who's not a man, it's like, ah. Listen, as a producer, I want there to be more women in comedy. Because yeah. it's not that all guys tell the same jokes, but like it's a variation. And yeah. it's nice to have a variety. And I used to do women shows once every three months because I had to vary mm-hmm. it up and yeah. I needed space. I stopped doing them in part because it just became so difficult to get different comedians on that lineup. Yeah. They just, they would quit or, you know, some guy would hit on one and make it uncomfortable and she would quit comedy. But what I liked about it, the audiences at the women's shows tended to be a lot better. Oh yeah. A lot more women there. Maybe it's a stereotype, but they were so much more attentive and they were Mm -hmm. into it. And I think the women were just relieved that there was comedy for them. Like, yeah, they can relate to everybody on stage. It wasn't like, okay, well, I don't know what the hell that guy's talking about. I don't have a dick, you know, like Mm -hmm. that's not an issue, but to have four or five women who are essentially trying to go right for them. It was kind of nice to watch because I, I almost wouldn't watch the comedians. I'd watch the audience reactions and then everybody would be like, Oh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm like, yeah, all right. That's that's cool. But it was just a good feeling in the audience. We have a really good all women show in St. Louis called the future is female at one of my favorite venues, the heavy anchor and the woman who puts it on Meredith hopping. She's very, very intentional about getting as many women as she can on. It's a lot of people's first showcases. I actually gave Meredith her first hosting gig, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but she'll like reach out to people around the Midwest. She'll go to clubs. And if it's like somebody who might've done a few open mics at that point, but still has something. She'll be like, Hey, do you want to do a five minute set for features female? She's very, very conscious of who she puts on and she doesn't want to exclude people. And it's always the biggest show of the month. Every time it always sells out, always sells out. And heavy anchor is a pretty big venue. So it's like, there's a bar side and then there's also a venue side and there's a garage door between them. Whenever Futures Female is happening, they have to open the garage door because so many people come. Wow. Yeah. That's one of the things I do like about this scene is that the women who are here, I mean, we're friends. I get along with everybody. Do you almost have to? Like, I mean, I know you don't have to get along with everybody, but do you almost have to, like, try to be allies with each other because there are so far fewer? It's like, oh, Oh, yeah. Like, okay, well, I don't know if I'm going to see another one. Let me hold on tightly. Yeah, I think so. There's also something that's like, I don't want it to be like, oh, women don't get along. They're just cat fighting with each other. Like there's two black comics who got into like, with lack of a better word, a kerfuffle at a party. And one of them was telling me about it. And he was like, I didn't want to like 
say shit to him. I didn't want to call him out. I didn't want to yell at him because I didn't want it to be like, oh, the two black comics at this party aren't getting along with each other and make it look bad for everybody else. So some of it's that. And then some of it is like, we're in this together. We should get along. Whatever dumb cunt shit you did to me five years ago, this was before pandemic. You know? (laughs) Yeah. If you you survived the pandemic, we're even now. Yeah. Yeah. Congrats. Good job, baby. (laughs) So you're a storyteller, right? Not all the time. I think I'm, the stories I tell tend to be a little bit, how do I put it? Uh, Stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think so. I don't necessarily consider myself a storytelling comic off the top of my head, but I, sure. Why not? I tell stories for like, for the special, for every other joke, probably. Every other joke is probably a story, I'd say. Are you comfortable doing that? I mean, you must be, but I'm wondering how long it took for you to get in that position where it's like, okay, like you have the, just get rid of the anxiety of like, okay, people want to hear what I'm about to say. It took a very long time. I think that's the thing that took the longest for me as a comic, because I also tangent a lot when I tell stories. So like I had to write them down and be like, this is good tangent. This is bad tangent. Don't go into this territory. And then I also had to cut them down because- I'm not a good storyteller as a rule. Like I said, I get off track, but for the special, especially I had to like sit and write it and put a lot of energy and thought into it. So I think that made me a better storytelling comic. So even like when I wasn't doing that and wrote like the joke about my work and the woman who said, you don't want to get old. Like I was better at that because I was writing the special and reading about like storytelling theory and I also got a little bit better because me and two other comedians, well, I wrote a movie. We were going to film it in 2020 and then pandemic. Right. I don't know. So your special comes out the 15th, right? Yes. March 15th. Tell me all about it. Okay. So the first, I think 15 to 20 minutes are just pure standup. It's like my main 15 to 20 that I do whenever I do like showcases. It's my regular old set. And then the next 40 to 45 are, it's a one woman show that I wrote because I wasn't able to film my movie. Like I started writing it over the pandemic. The other two writers of my movie started writing another movie. They're a couple. So like they live together. They can bounce ideas off each other. I did something that was very insular. And for me, I also wanted it to be something that like, there were a few ideas that I had. I wanted it to be about something that like happened to me that during that time, I'd be like, this is such a movie because I wanted to, think about something that could have been a movie but isn't something I could do myself because again social distancing so what I ended up going with was the first festival I ever did was the Broken Record Festival in Nashville which doesn't happen anymore and one of the organizers is a really bad dude and I hate him uh so (laughs) he wasn't that bad at the time have you had any people in your life through tv the guys who have not turned out to be a bad person we've mentioned like eight of them (laughs) (laughs) I love you I don't know if you caught on to the pattern, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck the seventh heaven dad. Get out of here. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, at least the seventh heaven dad didn't uh, grope me in a parking lot. Well, okay. okay. Here's some good right. guys. I'm going to make a list of good guys. <laughs> my boyfriend, my okay. grandfather, my, um, well, shit. Okay. Uh, Chris, Chris Sear. Chris okay, Sear. okay. <laughs> Great guy. Uh, sure. I'll throw in my dad and brother. Let's throw him a bone. My friend's dog, Frosty. My other friend's dog, Bowie. Frosty's human Tom, who also books a show. Um, one of the guys who wrote the movie with me, Stryker. I don't... There we go. Let's You're throw... Good. 
You're and good. then also the person this question is about, because, okay, when I did the festival in Nashville, one of the people who was organizing the Guinness like part where they were like trying to break the world record. That's why it's called the broken record. Yeah. We had like a romantic affair. And I thought that the idea of like setting a romantic comedy at a comedy festival and also in a city like Nashville, which is really fucking cool, was a really good idea. So I wrote my special as if I was like narrating as if it was like a flea bag narrative, you know, mm-hmm. that person, we are not together. We have not physically spoken to each other in four, five years now. He's married now to somebody who I've heard is a very lovely lady, but I thought that it would be a fun like narrative to do that. So that's what my special is about me going to Nashville and fucking some dude there. And then I do that for 40 minutes <laughs> talking about it. Right. Oh yeah. Just in depth. There is a section where I review the sex itself, but that doesn't take long. Right. Well, in my not because of the sex. I was going to say, in my experience, the sex never takes that long. <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke where I don't know, you know, I don't, it might just be the idea of a joke, but like that I've been batting around, but it's like my girlfriend, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> it's one of the, Best and worst thing she ever told me. She's like, I like how efficient you are at sex. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I'm like, all right. Fine. Speed impresses you. Awesome. <laughs> you found a keeper. I sure did. I sure did. We, we fall asleep watching The Simpsons, and she's okay with me being fast at sex. Perfect. I'll, I'll never find awesome. somebody better. <laughs> So when did you record the special? I recorded it back in November at the improv shop. There's two stages and I got to use the main stage. That was really exciting because I don't always get to use the main stage. Side stage rules, but main stages, I mean, it's the fucking main stage. It's huge. Yeah. I invited a lot of my family. So they all got to see it. My friend Mal, the one who lives in Long Island, she flew out to see it. I have a bunch of friends who came in from House Springs it felt like the end of Rushmore when they all goes to see Max Fisher's play and they all meet for the first time. Right. Like every character. That was a good night. Teal Pierce opened for me. Another good man. There we go. Got it. And Teal and I did, we went through all the improv shop levels together and we're both like weird alt comics and people don't take us seriously. Well, people take Teal seriously now and they're right to. And people take me seriously a little bit more. But like we both went through phases. I was like, hey. Why is it you and I who are getting the shortest sets after we've been doing comedy for five plus years at that point? But neither here nor there. Did you ever come to a conclusion on that? No. Okay. Well, our guess is that we're um, we're both neurodivergent. So that's right. my hunch. Okay. Teal specifically, he's also epileptic. So a lot of the time he can't drive. He's epileptic and he's half blind. So in the past, like his mom or his dad used to drive him. Sometimes a sibling, sometimes a comic who lived in uh, like the suburbs, like where he lives. But like the better he got at comedy, the more people like took him places, which is ideal. Right. We'll also buy him Ubers here and there. That's good. That's a good scene. Or he'll buy himself one. You know, he's an adult. (laughs) You know, I'm seven years in and I still, you know, I produce so many shows and I'm like, what bothers me? And it's definitely a gripe I have. And I'm not sure if it's universal, but like. I'll have a show producer get a hold of me like, hey, man, I'd really like to do your show in my mind. I'm like, yeah, I'd like to do yours, too. But I don't have the audacity, let's say, to ask. But in my head, I'm like, mm. I'm like you know, mm. you could play the game and throw me a bone as well. 
and then I could see mm. you. It's like, that's the thing. Like, I'm like, mm, you have shows that I would like a spot, but I don't want to ask. So I don't know. That's, that's a, that's really interesting. Part of my, cause it's like, they, I hear you. Yeah. It's interesting that like you can't, but they can. Oh yeah. Well, I don't want to impose. No. And they're imposing on you. It's like, well, you can't impose now. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to dilute their ask by being like, okay, well I want them to believe and they likely are that they're a good comedian and don't need to offer a spot to get a spot. You know, Uh, I don't want to snake my uh, way into doing it that way. So it's probably just two people who want the same thing, but mm -hmm. Hey, I got to make the first move. And then I'm just like, I can't, I can't make that move, but yes, you can do my show. So (laughs) how often do you get the thing where somebody's like, Hey, I want to do your show. And then they don't send you any video. Oh, almost. I rarely ask for video. But what I do is like, if I don't want to book that person, I will ask for a video because there's there's like a 50, 50 shot. They have one or they don't, or they forget about it. So I have this comedian around here. She is a pain in the ass and she's terrible. She's so bad, (laughs) but delusional, whatever. So she called, Sure. she called me one day and I'd forgotten. I gave her my number like six years ago. And mm-hmm. I'm, <laughs> I get this call and she says, Hey, would you be able to do a show on a Tuesday? And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, well, could you book a show on a Tuesday? I said, probably where? And she goes, well, I'm thinking here cause it's my birthday. And I'm like, Oh no. Oh no. I was like, I don't know if I can do that. She goes, well, what would it take to get on one of your shows? I said, you can't be on one of my shows. And I was only able to say this because like she had bothered the shit out of me for a year straight. And I said, you can't be on one of my shows. She goes, why not? I said, because you don't get laughs at the open mic. <laughs> and she said, she, right. And she said, but I get, I get laughs at paid shows. So I said, all right, send me the video. It's been almost a year. I haven't gotten a video. <laughs> so like, That's like my last resort. But I'm telling you, in order to get that response out of me, you have to be a major tool because I, yeah. I might not be Chris Sear level nice, but I'm a pretty nice guy. And I almost never say something like that. I just, I'm like, I'm like, I can't give you 10 minutes because it's just a 10 minute void. It's bad. There's a comic here who bullied her way onto a 15 minute set. And then she did five minutes, bombed hard and then didn't know what to do. So she just talked to the audience for 10 minutes. Some people just have so much audacity, but like, she's got to be delusional, right? And thinking that, oh, absolutely, you know, and, like, and I do sometimes kind of marvel and kind of jealous of that level of delusion. Mm-hmm. But like at a certain point, it's like you can hear there's no laughs, right? Yeah. Like, like I want to be booked on every show. And then when I don't have a good set and I'm like, oh, that's probably why they're not booking me. And it's like, that's probably not the reason. But it's like these people don't ever think that way. Mm-hmm. And like you're like, oh, my God, to be that person would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Just, oh. Just what a treat to think that you were awesome after eight years of just straight bombs. Yeah. I wish I had that confidence. Not even Coke corks. <laughs> All right. So going back to special. Okay. When you finished recording that, what was the feeling mm-hmm. like? When I got off stage, the first thing I did was cry. Yeah. I didn't mean to, but it was just like this like relief and just everything just kind of flowed through me. And it was a very 
emotional special. I talked about a lot about being like sad and lonely and shit. Cause I was a sad, lonely person for a very long time. Only the past like four years of me dating the person I'm dating now. Have I been not very lonely, right. but like, it felt like my soul left my body and then it came back and it was like getting the wind knocked out of me a little bit. So that day I couldn't eat. I was just so stressed out. I was so hungry, but I just could not like, I had no appetite. So I got off stage and the first thing I did, I saw was my friend, Hillary, Hillary Anger, great comic. Today's her birthday. She's a baddie. We love her. Improv shop used to have food there. She gave me a plate of hummus and a quesadilla. She was like, you did so good. So I walked around. Everybody was buying drinks. And I was also just like eating my hummus. Uh, <laughs> and I felt like I was like coming back into myself. So people were like, Ella, fireball shots. And I'm like, hold on, let me, let me finish this carrot. It felt good. I ended up getting liquor drunk, which means that if I didn't have my boyfriend there, I, I could have talked myself into driving home because of pure grandiosity. I right. shouldn't, though. St. Louis is a big drunk driving city. I don't know how much news you've been seeing. A lot of people have been getting really seriously injured and dying from car accidents in St. Louis. No, I haven't it is, noticed that it is, at all. Ah, it's rough out there, dude. Anyway, got off stage after this whole emotional thing. I have my plate of hummus. I'm running around to make sure that everybody liked it. I got a standing ovation, but like, I would have gotten a standing ovation. (laughs) No matter, like, even if it sucked, I know I would have. I mean, it was very emotional. There was a lot of people around that I like cared about that I don't get to see very often. And I got to see weird combinations of people. Like my two only friends that I still have from high school were sitting next to this comedian whose wedding that I had gone to a few months earlier and his now wife. Or like my parents sat in the very, very back. I asked my family not to sit where I could see them because I didn't want to psych myself out. But then when I got on stage, I could see them like, I saw like a light waving in the back, like a tea light. I was like, oh, that's where they're sitting. Now I have to know that. Damn it. (laughs) Uh, And then like I knew other people who were sitting there. I was like, oh, my parents are sitting next to Teal who opened for me. Or I don't remember who all was sitting there now. It was just a lot of feelings at once, and most of them were good. It was also a lot of work, because the same month that I was like promoting the special and rewriting it, retooling it, I also moved. Oh, wow. um, I had a class that I was taking, and I was supposed to get more hours at work, but it ended up not really panning out. I told my boss I could do Monday through Friday if I didn't have to do Saturday, And then she couldn't find somebody who would always do Saturday at work. So she ended up getting somebody who would do the same shifts that I would. Neither here nor there. Uh, So there was like just a lot that was going on at the time. So I felt, I don't know, it was mostly relieving. Did you feel like a celebrity that night? Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) It was so crazy. There was this touring show that was in the side stage. People came out to me after that show and they were like, hey, I wish I was at yours. I got drinks bought for me. I got driven places. We went to this bar that's like walking distance from my house. And like people who knew me from comedy at that bar, because like all the South St. Louis bars, they know each other. So he was like, hey, you just stand up at Heavy Anchor. I was like, yes. And I just recorded my special, bitch. <laughs> it was crazy. It felt like the end of, it didn't feel like full circle, but it felt like a new spiral to the circle. Like I kept getting tighter and tighter and tighter. So Let's just say that was the best night of your comedy life. Yeah. You tell me about one of the worst ones. Do you have a worst show in mind? Ooh. Worst set that ever happened? Ooh. Okay. So I was a year and a half into comedy and I was in Peoria, Illinois. 
And Oswald has written an essay about how much he hates doing comedy in Peoria, Illinois. And Pat Oswald is also a 20-year-old girl. So take that as you will. So I went with two other comedians who at the time were dating, but they weren't going to be sooner. So right. they were like bickering a little. And it was at a sports bar. And it was run by this guy who famously sucks. I'm not going to say his name, but he's very well known for going to cities without trying to find a show, going to their like comedy Facebook page and being like, hey, who will put me on? And then when nobody could put me on, this person will be like, fuck this city. They don't care about touring comics when he didn't do it shit for him. And then also saying like really rude and presumptuous stuff about people on the other side of the river here in St. Louis. But nah. So I did this show that he was doing. I was at this like really big sports bar. It was like a, if you've ever been to a Knights of Columbus hall, the show room felt like that, except with less people, same kind of demographic. The TVs were on, but they were muted. So credit where credit's due. And I bombed very hard because it was a bunch of like, there was like a group of older women who came up. They were like, you are funny, but I knew they just sat very stone faced the whole time. So it was very uncomfortable. At least I wasn't the only person who bombed. Everybody else did too. But when I was leaving or about to leave, there was this um, really pilled out dude that like cornered me while I was leaving. And he was like, hey, why aren't you funny? What do you need to do to be funny? And then like, I don't know. The comics got me out of the room. So that was, that helped. And then the other one is, do you know Rena Calm? Yeah. She came into town. So the idea was she was going to do... There was going to be a house show with her and another comedian here named Kelsey McClure. And it was going to be at Kelsey's backyard. And it was going to be like a handful of comedians. And it was somebody in St. Louis. Their husband rented a like party bus for his wife's birthday. His wife's favorite comedian is Rena Calm. And she happened to be in town. So he was like, he set up like a house show specifically for his wife, for Rena Calm. And I was going to be on that. But then it was supposed to rain that day. And then I'm not raining. So the show was called off. And then two other comedians who were on it found other rooms to perform at. So what ended up happening was I did stand-up comedy on a party bus. And the crowd, it was all like family. They were all family with each other. I could tell that they were having a good time, but they weren't having a good time because of me. They were having a good time because they were like all plastered, like Bud Light lime plastered. (laughs) Because rhetorical questions in stand-up, like, who's having a good time tonight? And they're like, right. I am, I am, I'm having a great time. My wife has great tits, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> it wasn't anybody's fault, necessarily. It just was one of those times that was just awful. Oh, and I thought of another. The last stand-up show that I did pre-COVID, I was the first comic up, and it was a very packed show at Heavy Anchor. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm going to kill this. And I bombed horrendously. And at some point I said to somebody sitting in the front row, like, what kind of jokes do you like? And they said, funny jokes. And I just left. I went to go see Sonic. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I think so. Found <laughs> <laughs> out later that guy got thrown out. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah, no, no, no. He got one and he was done. So yeah, those are the three worst sets I've had. When you have a rough set, how do you recover from that? It's easier than it used to be. I used to really beat myself up about bad comedy, especially bad improv, which is less significant than bad stand-up. I'm not losing shit. But like now it's usually I just eat something I really like or I get drunk 
like I said, for that last set before COVID, after I bombed, I went to the movies and I saw Sonic. It's not a good movie. I don't recommend it. <laughs> it doesn't look good, but I don't think it's for me. Like I love Jim Carrey and Ben yeah. Schwartz. I think those oh. two. So like, yeah, it makes sense. But I'm like, I think I'm too old for it. I saw it ironically. I also I saw it with my boyfriend. He's like a gamer boy. So we went to see it. Got really, really stoned. And <laughs> so remember flossing like the dance? Yeah. Uh, Sonic flosses twice. And he says things like he'll say things like radical, but he'll also say things like this is the goat or bet. Like he'll do a lot of like old phrases and new phrases. Yeah. And James Marsden is a cop. So that didn't age particularly well in 2020. <laughs> I also like I'm a Nintendo guy. Like I never oh. got into Sega. So I feel like okay. if I went to see Sonic, I'd kind of be betraying my youth. Oh. My all-time favorite video game is Nintendogs. So I'm that kind of person. <laughs> I'm also a big Animal Crossing lady. Love yeah. Animal Crossing. Celeste Animal Crossing is my girlfriend. I love her very much. I miss that whole craze in the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I got Wild World for my Nintendo DS. It's the only video game system that I've ever owned for myself is a silver Nintendo DS. The games that were mine were Nintendogs, Super Princess Peach, and Animal Crossing Wild World, and Cooking Mama. And I think those really sum me up more than a lot of other things. Listen, I, my, all right. So my games, I had a Game Boy, an original Oh Game boy. boy. Probably the DS, it's probably twice the size of that in thickness. So like, yeah, it was great. But my games were Tetris, Ooh. Super Mario World Two. Like it was like Ooh. the six golden coins or whatever. It was yeah, game. I loved Amazing Penguin for the Game Boy. It's basically kind of like Pac Man, but like with a penguin trying to outrun his foes. I guess okay going through different worlds. It's really a fun game. But I think it's only for Game Boy. Aside from that, I don't remember. Dr. Mario. That's how old I am. Ooh. But Tetris. Dr. Dr. Mario and Tetris. Yeah. Were you good at math or no? Kind of. Like, I was really good at stats. But, like, okay. Like, algebra was really easy for me. But I'm like, in school, I was a level behind my actual class because I fucked around Um, in middle school. So, okay. When I got to high school, they're like, all right, you you go to the next level or the lower level. And I Mm -hmm. got there and I swear to God, the first day the teacher put up, for intro to algebra in ninth grade, she put up an overhead of a calculator and she said, this is the addition key. And I went, Oh fuck. I'm in the wrong class. (laughs) So I got, I got like a 97, 98, 99 in every market period. And I should not be getting that in math class. (laughs) I'm like, I'm a a high seventies, low eighties guy. So if I'm scoring like high nineties, I don't belong there. So. I had that in ninth grade algebra two, algebra one, yeah. algebra two. I think I got a C probably. I don't care. But I sat next to the guy I had a crush on like first semester. And I guess my teacher could tell. So she consistently, every time she redid the seating chart, I always sat next to him and she was like, that's just how it happened. I don't know what happened. And then years later, I told this to my boyfriend and we went to rival high schools. We didn't know each other in high school at all, but we went to rival high schools. And I was like, this is the guy that she sat me with. And I showed him him on my phone. And he was like, no fucking way. Cause that is my childhood best friend's cousin. Yeah. (laughs) 
So that's amazing. I have a similar story. Ooh, okay. When I was, how am I going to tell the story so I don't fuck it up for you? Because there's an element of surprise here. Okay, okay. All right. So I had a really good friend in high school. His name's Doug. And we called him Pyro Doug because one day we're we're sitting in jazz band class because, Mm -hmm. you know, why not? And that's that's where cool kids go. Yeah, he took a butane lighter and he goes, Peters, what would you do if I burned your elbow? And I'm like, I don't know, man. And I started talking to someone else and he put it up to my elbow and I'm like, ah, and he goes, so that's what you do. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Okay. So we go to global studies and he goes, Peters, what would you do if I bit your shoulder? I said, I don't know, Doug. And he bit my shoulder. He goes, oh, so that's what you do. All right. So, okay. And then we go back to the jazz band second period mm-hmm. and it smells like my skin. I'm like, oh, gross. But like, that's my buddy, Doug, right? Yeah. Another yeah. guy. And we lost touch after high school. And mm-hmm. I went to do sports reporting in Maryland and Pennsylvania. And mm-hmm. I kept telling stories about this, you know, I'm covering high school sports, boys, mm-hmm. girls, whatever. And I'm always saying that one of my favorite teammates in little league, when I was 12 was this 11 year old girl because she was the quickest on the team. She was a good bunter. She's a good fielder. Mm-hmm. I had fun with her. She was cool. Mm-hmm. So I go to a bar in my hometown years later and mm-hmm. I see Doug and now Doug is married to Amanda and come over and we're talking and she says, you don't remember me, do you? I said, no. She goes, is she? yeah. She oh goes, my God. Goes, we played little league together. And I said, fuck that. I said, That's for so years, cool. I've been saying that you were my favorite teammate. And she goes, yeah, well, I've been saying the same thing about you. What happened was she saw Doug saw pictures of her on Little League, right? And Uh he's like, Oh, that's my friend Mike. And like we were best friends in high school. And she's like, Oh my God. And it gets deeper because I said, Well, what happened after you turned 11? She goes, Well, we moved school districts. And Uh I ended up going to Owego, which is, you know, a neighboring town. Uh And she's like, Yeah. And then, uh, you know, my best friend is Mandy. And I go, Mandy, who? She goes, Yeah, Mandy Shelp. Mike Shelf was one of my other best friends. So she was best friends with one of Doug's closest friends in high school. So like, they just, they were like inches away from each other in the past. Mm -hmm. So it was like destined to be in that little circle. So it's really fucking weird that Mm -hmm. I guess maybe it's a testament to, you know, you stay in your hometown long enough. People are going to run into you, but like, it's just kind of weird how that works. That's very weird. That's very cool. Yeah. It sounds like upstate New York and Jefferson County, Missouri have more in common than not. You know, I say the same things and not to make a direct parallel, but I say the same thing for comedy scenes all over the place. Yeah. We all have a crazy person. Of course. We all have the the one unfunny person who won't go away. We we all have the the bracket, like, like the assholes. We'd all have similar characters in the scenes. And I think towns are just like that. I did an open mic in Nashville where a guy went on stage and the first thing he did to start his set was he put down a glass of water and then he spit out his dentures directly into the water. He made and he was it? like, now we're going to get real crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Best comedian I've ever seen. I've never seen anything better. I think everybody should go to open mics because you never fucking know what you're going to see. Exactly. Like, I tell everyone, I'm like, <laughs> we have characters at my mic who come in sporadically like every three or four mm-hmm. months. And one of them wasn't going to go up last week and I kind of coaxed him to go up because my girlfriend's in town. She'd never seen him. Mm-hmm. And somebody was like, why'd you do that? I go, cause she hadn't seen him. He's a freak show. <laughs> I was like, this is 
is my entertainment. This is my TV for two hours. Like, let me have this. One time I was at Heavy Anchor and it was like the door was down. So I was talking to a few comics and then another one like bursts out of the showroom into the bar room. And he says, there's a magician on stage right now. And we all go in. And for some, I don't know how it worked, but she used a card trick to convince a guy to come out. And then her card trick was her making out with him. And then that's how she spent her last minute on stage. Can't beat it. (laughs) (laughs) So what do you want out of comedy? I mean, you know, what would make you happy? What would make me happy is if I could just keep doing things like the special or keep filming things. I want to be able to keep writing and, doing things and I want to be able to make it like at least more of my income than it already is. Like I, I like my day job. I like that. I don't have to rely on comedy exclusively for money. I feel like that'd be a lot of stress, even though St. Louis is bonkers cheap. My God, my one bedroom apartment, 600 bucks. Wow. Yeah. Nobody wants to live where you can't get an abortion. Uh, (laughs) That's a great tagline for a town. I mean, we're right next to Illinois. If you really need it, if you like really need it, there you go. Right. Which, I mean, if you get pregnant and you don't want to be, then you need it. There we go. You can trade, you can trade you know, for a gun, you know? Like, yeah. We'll, we'll give you a oh gun my, God. my baby. Missouri doesn't have concealed carry. Like we do, but like the thing is you don't need a concealed carry license to conceal carry. All right. No, it's a bad idea. This is <laughs> like, okay. Mike Parson has specifically been like, I want Missouri to be the most pro-life state. And then we have the death penalty. And we have that. These people are nuts. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Oh my fucking God. Oh yeah. I also want to leave St. Louis. <laughs> <laughs> That's another big one. Man. There's a well, lot of little places I've been looking at. I like upstate. I mean, I like New York. I've seen the main, you know, three parts of it, and I've enjoyed myself. I like Nashville, but I want to live closer to getting an abortion, as I said before. I like Minneapolis, but it's really fucking cold. I like Portland, but I I, I like Portland fine. It's just a lot. Right. Um, my best friend who lived there, she moved to Los Angeles, and it's like, goddamn, if I if I'm gonna move to Los Angeles, then I want to be like loaded. Yeah. You have to be. But I want to keep writing and I've submitted a few things to stuff and I want to be able to like tour more often. I have a small tour this month where I'm going to Arkansas for a few days with my boyfriend, Casey, Casey Paulson, great comic, love the man. And Corey Stewart, amazing comic, one of my favorite people in the scene, full stop. And I'm going to Alaska in April for Before You Die, which I'm really excited about. Cass Smiley is one of the best people I've met. She's so fuck good. yeah, she is. She's fuck awesome. yeah, she is. Yeah. Cool as bitch. Yeah, she does so much stuff up there that every year, and I've never gone to the festival. I just talked to her about it, but I see her post on Facebook, and I'm like, she's gonna kill herself. She's just taking oh. way too much. <laughs> oh yeah, she needs to take a fucking breath for a minute. Yes, a little bit. So her and Keith Bergman were here together in November of 2019, and I did a show with them. And Cass said to me, "Hey." I know that submissions for Before You Die are already closed, but if you go to Alaska when it happens this coming year, I'll put you on. And then that was April 2020. So no, she didn't. Ouch. Yeah. 
I get it. I get it. Right. Ooh. Well, well, you'll have fun there, I'm sure. Yeah, no, yeah, I'm excited. A lot of people who I like are on. Amir Sanders, who lives in Chicago now, but I know her when she lived in Columbia, Missouri, which is where like one of the biggest colleges in St. Louis is there. She got in. Eric Laux and Ann Arbor got in and a bunch of Ann Arbor people. Cause it's like, I see, Oh, Eric got in. Oh, this other friend I know he has got in this other friend. I know he has got in yada, 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 bunch of fucking comedians who know each other. Kind of. Yeah. I know a bunch of the people there too. So you're going to have a yeah. whole lot of fun. And she, I mean, from everything we talked about on the podcast, everything she does. And then we talked for like, I think the podcast is like an hour and 20 and we talked for another two hours. Like sweet, she was just the best. So very she cool. is very forward thinking about all the comedians. She takes care of them and it's class act all the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Just even being like in the Facebook group, I'm like, Oh, she like wants everybody to have a good time. Yeah. She's well, just trying to take care of everyone. It's like, she's the president of the tourism board. Like she's exactly. She wants everybody <laughs> to think hard about moving to Alaska because she wants, she props it up that highly. Yeah. I like the idea of it, but it sounds so fucking cold. Yeah. My parents love it and they love the scenery and they're, yeah. sub, they're 70 plus years old. Mm-hmm. They go there every year. I think mainly because they can get more shirts that say Alaska on it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that's, that's all anymore. Like you don't need another yeah. Alaska flag. You're in New York. No, but <laughs> well, I've had so much fun talking to you and it was really good getting to know you. Is there Thank anything- you so much for having me. This was great. Is there anything you want to plug aside from the special? Aside from the special social media, um, anything I'm fancy meat Fritz on all the platforms. So Twitter, which is the one I use the least because my mom's on it. Instagram is probably the site that I use the most. TikTok, I think that's my Tumblr. It's the public Tumblr at least. I don't know. Yeah. If you want to look me up on YouTube, I still have every episode of the web series I did when I was 20, Ella Fritz Street Person, which is I stand by most of it. Some of it doesn't age great, but a lot of it ages really well. I'm proud of myself is what I'm saying. Like the one where we go to a Bernie Sanders rally. At 20? Oh, oh, it's seven years ago. Jesus Christ. I forgot how old you are. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, no. Now it makes sense completely. (laughs) It's just like, oh, there's no way Trump could win. And then Trump won. And then we stopped doing it. Oh, that's going to be a sad one to watch. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You want to be depressed watching the YouTube clips. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And best of luck with everything. And I can't wait to watch this. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon.